0: The following is a message from Christ the King Presbyterian Church in Roanoke, Virginia. For more information about the ministry of Christ the King, please visit us at ctkroanoke.org. Well, good morning. Good morning. Welcome to Christ the King. Uh, my name is Penny, and I'm the pastor here and Uh, If you are new, if you are a guest or a visitor, welcome. Uh, We are glad that you are with us. Um, Whether you are um, maybe first time coming to CTK or you've been here many, many times, or maybe this is the first time you've been to a church in many years or maybe ever, I want you to know that you are welcome here. Because regardless of what you might bring here this morning, regardless of what this past week or the past months or years may have Entailed. The truth is, is that every one of us is in need of the same thing, and that is the grace of our Lord. And so that's uh, that's for you, and that's for me, and that's why we gather to be reminded of His grace and to be called to walk and to follow Him in all His ways. And so this morning uh, we continue to do that, to be reminded of God's ways and what He has called us to by looking uh, at the fruit of the Spirit. For the last number of weeks, we've been uh, going through this series on the fruit of the Spirit, and this morning. We're coming to the last of the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of self-control. You remember the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And as we've been looking at these fruit of the Spirit, I hope you've noticed and realized that, that these aren't simply things that we aspire to, right? These aren't simply virtues and characteristics and qualities that we hope to one day attain. Like, you know, well, well I know I'm supposed to love, but, but I'll love like in a few years from now. Like, gentleness, that sounds all well and good, but, you know, uh, maybe in a couple months. Then I'll pursue, like, these aren't just things that we are seeking to attain. They're often the distant future. But actually, the fruit of the Spirit is supposed to be a part of the normal life of the Christian. That these are the qualities and the virtue that we are to embody each and every day, not just in the future. Not just one day, but today. That the fruit of the Spirit are the qualities and the virtues that show that we are Christ's. They're not works that we do to earn his favor, but they're actually evidence that we are loved by God, that we know the Lord and the Holy Spirit is at work in our lives. The fruit of the Spirit is evidence of our faith. And so we are to embody them, we are to cultivate them, we are to pursue them. And so we're going to pursue self-control this morning. And to do so, we're going to look at two different passages, two main passages. There's a few passages we'll reference, but, but two main passages. The first is in the Old Testament, Proverbs 25. So I'd encourage you to turn to Proverbs 25. But I'd also encourage you to have a, a finger in the New Testament because we're also going to read from 1 Corinthians 9. And if you have a if you don't have a Bible, there are Bibles in the chairs in front of you, and we are going to project the passages on the screens in front of you. But Proverbs Chapter 25, verse 28. Solomon, who wrote Proverbs 25, says this. A man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. And then let's skip ahead to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And in verses 24 through 27, the Apostle Paul says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word, and we come to it acknowledging our need of your work in our lives father we need your spirit to grow and to cultivate the fruit of your spirit and so we pray that that's what would begin even today that as we consider these passages as we think upon what you have called us to that you would make us self-controlled men and women self-controlled to follow you to honor you with our lives we pray this in christ's name amen You need to control yourself. That is a phrase that I think every single parent has uttered uh, more than once in their lifetime. Right? It's a phrase that parents have uttered, especially as they are looking down at the floor at a toddler who is maybe kicking and screaming and rolling around and flailing their arms and exploding in a tantrum. You need to control yourself And we often say those things in a very controlled way, because often those little tantrums are occurring in very public places, aren't they? Uh, The grocery store aisle, the the hallway in the school, right outside the nursery maybe, even this morning, (laughs) right? You need to control yourself. And what we are calling our child, our toddler, to do in that moment is to exercise self-control over their actions and over their words. To use their actions and their words in appropriate ways. And we rightfully should call them to that because control of oneself over one's actions over one's words is something that we value but but it's also something that we battle isn't it self-control is something that we battle and kids it's not just something that you battle in your own hearts and lives it's something that your parents do and that all adults experience as well that battle now we we don't flail ourselves on the ground. We don't uh, pitch a fit in the grocery store aisle and, and throw a tantrum though that would be funny, kids, if your parents did, wouldn't it? <laughs> if you saw them, right? I mean I mean, it, let's just be honest. Like, sometimes it's nice to see the honesty of a child, right? But, but like if we exploded all the things that we had in our hearts, all the things we wanted to say and we wished we could do, right? We, we too would be flailing on the ground. You need to control yourself. No, we're much more subtle than that. And usually, our lack of control takes place over a period of time and in small, incremental degrees, right? In fact, when I think about uh, self-control or the lack thereof and how it seems to just happen over a little bit of time, my mind goes to a scene in 1984, George Orwell's uh, dystopian novel, Right, you remember uh, this, this place, this land that is controlled by a dictator, or by an authoritarian. And, and every single day in this land, they experience the two minutes of hate. You remember in everybody's television screen in their homes or, or out on the street in the city, they see these images of people that they're supposed to despise, these enemies of the, the nation, these enemies of the party that's in power. And everyone, when they see these images in these scenes, they're supposed to erupt with anger and hatred and yell at the screens. But the main character, Winston, you remember early in the book, he, he sees right through this. He's savvy, he understands what's going on, he exercises control. Sure, he does it, but in his heart, in his mind, he really has no hatred for these people. But then he's arrested, and he's reprogrammed. And over time, when the two minutes of hate come up, what does he find himself doing? Well, he too is yelling at the screen. He too is enraged at the scenes and the pictures that he's seeing. You see, that self-control that he once had, that firmness that he once had, over time, it is replaced by indulgence and agitation and a lack of control. And we know what this is like, don't we? We experience this, Now we're not shouting at television screens, though, though I will tell you uh, the other day, I was uh, at the, the dealership getting my car worked on, and there was a TV in the waiting room. And, and on this TV was a news broadcast, and there was a, a man who, uh, though he wasn't yelling, he was definitely making his views expressed and known to everyone around him what he thought about this particular person or this particular issue. So, so though we may not yell, there are those who do, don't they? No, we don't yell at televisions, but we get pulled into conversations, and we lose all reasonableness. We explode in anger. We overindulge our appetites for food and for drink. We entertain impure thoughts, and we mindlessly waste time on the web. You need to control yourself. This is something that we struggle with. It is a battle. And for the Christian, self-control is supposed to be exactly what we're characterized by. I mean, the Apostle Paul in Second Timothy 1 says, God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. You see, what Paul's telling us is that when we became a Christian, that we have this spirit, the spirit of God indwells us and takes over our lives, and it is warring, the spirit of God, he wars against the spirit of our flesh so that we would no longer be given over to our sin and those indulgences, but that we would lead self-controlled lives. That the new spirit replaces our fleshly spirit. So what does self-control look like? Well, self-control looks like resisting. That's what we saw in that proverb. Solomon says, a man without, a, without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. And so this image is clear, right? In the ancient Near East, the first line of defense for a city were the walls. So the walls were the first mode of protection when marauders and bandits and raiders and enemies would come across the city, come to attack the city. And what Solomon is telling us is that a city without walls no longer can resist the enemy. The city will be ransacked. It will be destroyed. It will be taken over. And he's saying that's what a man or a woman who lacks self-control is like. They no longer can resist. But the adverse is true then. That self-control is like that wall. It is like that wall around the city that helps us to resist and to restrain evil and sin. You see, that's what we are to do. That's what self-control helps us with. It helps us to restrain and to resist sin. I mean, just think about the context of the fruit of the Spirit. Paul was contrasting the fruit of the Spirit with the fruit of the flesh, right? And he says in Galatians 5, walk by the Spirit. And you will not gratify the desire of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other. And then he lists off the fruit of the flesh. Sexual immorality, quarreling, biting tongue, right? All of these sorts of different sins and vices. And he contrasts it with the fruit of the Spirit. Love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. What he is telling us is that in order to resist the fruit of the flesh, we need the fruit of the Spirit. We need to exercise self-control. So how do we do this? How do we resist? How do we exercise self-control? Well, self-control begins with reliance. In order to resist, we need to rely. You know, of all the fruit of the Spirit, I think this is the one that we are most prone to say, I can do this. I got this one. I mean, we look at the other ones, right? Love, ah, I could love a little bit better. Gentleness, yeah, for sure, could do that a little bit better. Joy, yeah, can sometimes be Eeyore. I I could do better than joy. But self-control, I got it. I think we're prone to do that. I mean, just think about yourselves. Think about all that you've done, all that you've achieved. I mean, I look out at this congregation, many of you whom I know, and and I see men and women who are very talented, very capable, very successful and intelligent people. And that success came through hard work and opportunity and self-control. Right? I mean, think about the things that you've achieved. Maybe you've tried to get healthy over the last few months. The last few years, you've lost weight, you've been trying to eat, right? That, that required self-control. Maybe you're training for a race, like the, the uh, Ironman half triathlon was last weekend, right? I, I don't know if any of y'all have trained for a tri like bravo if you have, <laughs> you are better men and women than I. But, uh, but you know, to, to train for a race, whether it's a triathlon or a marathon or just like from couch to 5k, whatever it might be, that requires self-control, to acquire a degree, to graduate from high school or college or grad school, to get a promotion, to start a business, to study for a test, all of these things require self-control. And because we've exercised self-control in these other areas of life, it's easy to think that when it comes to restraining sin, I got it. I can handle this. A little work, a little resolve, a little self-control. And in doing this, what we're doing when we approach self-control in this way, when we approach resisting sin in this way, is we are adopting the Bob Newhart approach to sin and, and struggle. Bob Newhart, y'all remember him, right? I'm dating myself a little bit. The comedian from the 70s and 80s. I think maybe the 90s too. I can't remember. I know he's an elf, so he's at least in the 2000s. But regardless, he had the show, the Bob Newhart show, where he, he was a Chicago psychologist, right? And there was a scene where a woman comes in and she's Speaks to him all her struggles, all her difficulties. And what is his response to all of her struggles and all of her difficulties? You remember it was two words Stop it. <laughs> I have bad thoughts. Stop it. I struggle with my tongue. Stop it. I'm overeating. Just stop it. And this is how we approach sin sometimes, don't we? In temptation. Stop it. Bad Christian. Be more self controlled. Just be. Better. So how's that going for you? I, I mean, you're, you're finding a lot of victory over your sin? Law lot of success? Stop it? No, of course not, right? We know that. We know that relying on our own strength, our own self-control, that when we grit our teeth and we try to muscle through it, when we are resisting sin in this way, that if we are honest, we will echo Kierkegaard, who once said that resolve is like skipping stones. The stone will sink. Resolve and strength and self-control will sink. You see, self-control in the life of a believer is evidence not of our own strength, but of the Spirit's. It is evidence that we are relying upon the Lord. And that's the one in whom we should be relying upon. He's the one that we need to resist sin. Because God is the one who provides the avenue and the strength to resist sin. He's the one who gives us self-control to resist, to say no. I mean, think about 1 Corinthians 10. After our passage that we already read, Paul reminds the Corinthians about Israel and their sins. He says Israel were idolaters, they were sexually immoral, they were grumblers, they were testers of God. And then Paul says, these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape, that you may be able to endure it. So you hear what the Apostle Paul is saying. When temptation arises, when it comes about, our, our first inclination shouldn't be, well, I'm glad I'm not like that guy who struggles with that temptation, and I don't have any problems. Right? He says, take heed lest you too may fall. But when temptation and sin come, when temptation arises and sin is creeping, what does he say? God will provide a way. God will provide an avenue of escape. He provides the way. He provides the strength to endure. God, through his Holy Spirit, gives self-control to resist. And so, friends, when temptation rises, when sin is creeping... Our first instinct is not to rely upon ourselves for self-control, but to rely upon God. To turn to Him. To ask Him for the strength by His Spirit to resist. Because self-control is for resisting, but it's also for pursuing. And that's what we see in 1 Corinthians 9. The Apostle Paul says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control. Lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. I love this image that Paul's giving us of what self-control looks like. Right? I love this image because we all understand it so clearly. Right, We all know the, the sacrifices that athletes have to, be, have to make to be successful. And, and the Corinthians would have known that because in Corinth, the second largest games next only to the Olympics took place. It was the Isthmus Games. <laughs> it's a hard word to say uh, once, forget about five times fast. But it was right in front of them. And so they knew they had seen the runners running and they'd seen the boxers boxing and they'd seen all the things that the athletes had to go through to pursue their prize. The early hours of training, the exercising of muscles that most of us don't even realize we have, getting rest and eating right. I remember the great Hall of Fame pitcher Tom Seaver for the New York Mets said that I like cookies, but I eat cottage cheese. <laughs> You see, athletes, they exercise self-control over their days and their weeks and their lives in order to pursue victory, in order to achieve the prize. And what Paul is telling us is that the same is true of us. But the prize that we pursue isn't one that will fade or be forgotten, but we pursue an imperishable prize, the prize of life in Christ. You know, in Philippians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul uses this language of prize there as well. And there he's speaking about knowing Jesus and sharing in his sufferings and attaining the resurrection. then he says, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. One thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. It's a beautiful passage, isn't it? The Apostle Paul, he he has this single focus, this prize, this goal in mind. It is straight ahead, and, and he will lay aside everything that hinders. He will not turn back, he will continue to move forward. He has disciplined himself to achieve the prize. To pursue Christ. You see, friends, the purpose of self-control is to restrain our sin, but, but it's not just so that we would enter into this moral neutrality, but it's so that we would also pursue beauty and truth and grace. And we know this in all other areas of life. The importance of resisting and pursuing, right? I mean, we say no to idleness and yes to work. We say no to cookies and yes to cottage cheese. Maybe not enough. <laughs> we say no to social gatherings and yes to studying. We do this in every other area of life, and we do it to acquire things that will fade. They are good things. Health, business, work, achievement. Like These aren't bad things. They're, they're good things but they are perishable things. So how much more should we say no and say yes to that which is imperishable, for that which will endure, to exercise self-control so that we would pursue beauty and truth and grace, so that we would pursue Christ. And so what this means is, it means we'll... Read God's word when we'd rather be watching television. It means that we'll pray when we'd rather be sleeping. It means that we'll ask for accountability when we'd rather remain in hiding. It means that we'll speak words of affirmation rather than words of criticism. It means we'll exercise self-control. You know, as I've thought about this, I've realized it takes no self-control to criticize and to be a cynic and to sin. It takes no self-control to do those things. But it does take self-control to celebrate, even in the midst of struggle. To find beauty, even in the midst of badness. To see the saint, and not only the sinner. And this sort of self-control, it requires a self-control, not of the flesh, not of ourselves, not of our own strength, strength but of the Spirit. And friends, when we have something so beautiful and glorious and worth pursuing that that we will discipline our lives, we will exercise self-control to achieve it. And the truth is, is that the most beautiful and the most glorious and the most worthwhile pursuit has been put before us. Because Christ has saved us from our sin so that we wouldn't return to it. Christ has saved us and given his us his spirit so that we would live by his spirit he has given us his spirit so that we would keep in step with his spirit and resist sin and pursue upright godly and self-controlled lives in this present age friends this is the fruit the fruit of the spirit all of them all nine of them there is not a single one that we can do on our own what we need is christ what we need is his spirit so that we would resist and we would pursue. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you. We thank you that you have given us your spirit so that we would be people of self-control, so that we would be people who embody your fruit. And so we pray that love and joy, peace and patience, kindness and goodness Faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, that these would be the qualities that would erupt out of our hearts, that these are the things that people would see in us, that these are the virtues that would be demonstrated in our lives. Father, make us more like your son. Father, cultivate your fruit in our lives so that we would walk by your spirit and be people, people who embody this fruit. We pray this in Christ's name, and God's people said together, Amen.